Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. Ben, how you doing? I'm all right. It's been a busy week, and it's only Thursday. <laughs> so <laughs> it, It's just amazing. Even when things are terrible, which they are right now, again, for the, like, I mean, the fifth year in a row, fourth year in a row, whatever. It's like, still, you just walk into work, and you have no idea where the day is going to go. <laughs> None. And sometimes you, you think you figure it out, and then you walk off the practice field, and there's Sheila Hemp. I'm waiting to talk to <laughs> no. the owner of the Detroit Lions. It's been quite the week. Oh, man. I know. We're walking back from practice. I'm like, oh, we're going through the warm entrance. Sweet. We're going to walk through the indoor field, and there's Sheila standing with a couple of PR people around her and just, uh, yeah, like you said, no matter what this team is doing, they'll throw a curveball at you at least once or twice a week, it seems like. Yeah, so they're one in five, Ben. They've lost uh, 13 road games in a row. They now have, again, the worst record in the NFL. It's it's safe to say, I mean, this was always going to be a, another building year. I don't think anyone expected a run to the Super Bowl or anything, but it's safe to say that with where things are at, they're off pace with where a lot of us expected them to be. And that's caused some concern. And so we got a great guest coming up on the back end of the podcast, TJ Lang, former Pro Bowl offensive lineman, wrapped up his career here in Detroit last couple of years, native Detroiter. I think he's going to have some good thoughts on where things are at and why they're still stuck in the mud. But first, Ben, I, I know I, it's not every day you get to talk to the owner of the Lions. I've been on this beat since since 2013, and I never talked to William Clay Ford. He owned the team the first couple of years that I was on the beat. Never talked to him. Martha Firestone Ford owned the team for six years after that. I can recall two conversations with her in all of that time, one of which was when they were bringing back Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn back in, when they announced they were going to bring them back in 2019. And now it's interesting to me to see Sheila Ford Hamp coming out now and speaking and, and conversing with fans. And of course, she's not talking to them directly, but talking to fans through through the media. She knows the frustration is there. I, I just thought it was a very timely sit down with her there this week. We talked to her for four minutes. We're going to play the full four minutes of Sheila Hamp speaking with us on the indoor practice field here in Allen Park. And then we'll uh, riff from there. Yep. Oh, it sound good? That sounds great. All right. Here's Sheila Hamp this week with Detroit Lions Beat Writers. All right. Well... Good to see everybody. You know, I just wanted to follow through with, you know, what I said initially that I would be open and honest and available for you guys. So here I am. I'm sure you have a few questions for me, but I just wanted to open with a couple of comments. And, you know, I know this is difficult. Our rebuild is hard, but we really believe in our process. We really believe in we're going to turn this thing around the right way through the draft, you know, it's, it requires patience. It's frustrating. Am I frustrated? Absolutely. Are the fans frustrated? Absolutely. Are you guys frustrated? You know, but I think we really are making progress. You know, you've seen it. Um, it's just, this was a huge tear down and then turn around, you know, and we really, we're only a third of the way through the season. We've got 11 more games to go. Um, so, I just don't want everyone to push the panic button and give up the ship because I think we're, we've got the right people in place to pull this off. And I truly believe that. And I wouldn't say that if I didn't believe it. So with that, 
if you guys have some questions for me, I'm happy to answer a few things. And um, obviously, the wins aren't you know what they what they want. But what are the positives that that, that you well look back uh, the positives the are you know the way we started the season with the offense. Obviously, you know I think we've got to get back to that. Um, uh, and you know in any turnaround there's going to be ups and downs. You know, it's not going to be smooth. It's not going to be like this. Boy, I wish it were. That'd be simple. But it's not. You know, there's going to be fluctuations. And the other thing is, you know, you all well know our team is very young. And that's not an excuse. That's a fact. And, you know, young players are going to make mistakes. So we've had some key mistakes that have cost us games. Hopefully we're not going to repeat those. Hopefully we learn. But it is is a process. And, you know, that's what it is. It's hard. And it's really hard to stay disciplined. You know, I mean, no one hates losing more than I do, than my family does. But, you know, it's just, we're, we got to sort of got through it. What feels, feels, feels different around Pardon me? What feels different about this time? You guys have went through several rebuilds, but what gives you confidence? That, well, that this, I would say, was like a teardown <laughs> and then a rebuild. I mean, we really had to take, I mean, take it down to the ground level. And it's been not only on the football side, but across the organization. We've put in a lot of new talent at the top. I really believe in the top leadership in this organization, and I think we've got the people to do it, to, to carry this out. I think that's what's different. Why, why, are you, why, why, are you, why are you talking right now, and, and how long does this patience last? You know, I, mean, I think that's what people <laughs> well, want to know. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, well, patience lasts, you know, as I say, we've got a long way to go in this season. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you guys because I know, I mean, really talking to you, talking to the fans and, you know, everyone's frustrated, you know, I'm frustrated, but again, I, I really believe in what we've got and what we're going to be. It just takes time. Teams why are you confident around. that Dan Campbell is still the right coach for this uh, operation right now? When you look around the league and you see other rebuilds, you know, with more success at this point. Yes. Well, what I really have confidence in is the process we went through in the first place when we hired Brad and Dan. It was extremely thorough, you know, and we really believe we've come up with the right people. So, you know, I can't comment on other teams' rosters or what they had in the first place. All I know is what we had and where we're going. Thanks, just, everybody. Just Appreciate it. Clear, Thank you. Neither one of them, their jobs are in jeopardy no matter what happens this season. Is that part of why you're doing this? I believe in the leadership. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate okay. it. Thanks, really. Thank I mean, Okay, good to see you guys. Thank you, too. A lot there, Ben. (laughs) Yeah, there really was. There really was. Like you said, I think it shows a level of awareness from Sheila. It shows that she is listening, trying not to let the seat that shouldn't be hot get too hot in some of the fans' minds. I mean, it does show a level of awareness to talk to the fans through us. She said everything you would expect her to say. There was nothing shocking from her statements. It was pretty consistent with everything she said. It is just fascinating to think back two years ago or three years ago, how many ever years it was ago that they were telling the small group of reporters in that room why they were bringing Patricia and Quinn back to see why they're here now. But everything she says makes sense. It's the youngest roster in the league, and it was a teardown and then a rebuild. What did you think about those comments? Just like, we had to tear this down and then rebuild. This was a mess, pretty much, is what she was saying. Yeah, which did not really comport with what Brad Holmes said when they took over. Every time we said the word rebuild, he would correct us and say retool. <laughs> that's <laughs> didn't like to remember what it was. <laughs> that's I think that's just a matter of trying to show respect to the players who are in the locker room, the guys who went, did go through those tough years and just trying to show them some professionalism and respect. I think everyone knew where this was headed and every move they've done along the way. It's, it's not like their moves have changed or like what they're trying to do has changed along the way. This was going to be 
in retrospect, now that we've seen the the blueprint they've rolled out, there's always going to be a teardown and then a rebuild. So I think there's a lot of truth to what she's saying. And I mean, you look at the Jets, you look at the Giants. I understand fully the frustration that fans feel that while those teams are winning, the Lions have one win again, mm. last place in the league again, one year after they, they went winless in the first 11 games. So the frustration is totally understandable. And just many other people, I expected this team to be a lot better than what they are. I predicted them to win 10 games. I'm a clown for that. <laughs> I saw that offense in training camp and I'm like, man, who's going to stop these guys? <laughs> and I looked at the schedule and I just didn't see a lot of impressive teams on it. And obviously some teams have proven to be better than what we expected. Like, I expected this team to be better, much better than what it's been. So that's fair to criticize. But I think what Sheila Hamp is saying in terms of this needs time, I think there's a lot of truth to that. You just look where this team is at. They took it apart brick by brick and now they're putting it back together brick by brick. And I think there's a lot to like about where it's headed, even if the results to this point are frustrating. I mean, you look at Amon Ross St. Brown and Panay Sewell, they've gotten some real guys you can build around. Some solid players elsewhere in the draft. Ali McNeil uh, comes to mind. Aiden Hutchinson's shining in the right way. Josh Pascal just had a hell of a debut. Kirby Joseph didn't play safety full-time until his final year at Illinois. This was always supposed to be a sort of redshirt year for him. And then the Tracy Walker injury happens and Kirby Joseph is for, forced to start playing, I think, in week four, right? And goes out there and he looks like what you would expect from a project who was getting thrown out there sooner than anyone expected. But damn, he has progressed so quickly and he's had chances at, at turnovers in the last couple of games. And that was something that he was known for at Illinois. I, like, I think they really have something there. So there's a lot of things to like, even if the results are frustrating. And so to that point, Ben, to answer your question, I agree with most of what Sheila Hamp said. To me, I understand why fans are frustrated because they, if you're under the 65, you've never seen this team do anything. <laughs> and the one constant, the one through line through everything is the Ford family ownership. And I like, if I got a nickel for every time I got an email about the Ford family or how they should sell the team or the Ford family is a problem and so on, wouldn't be doing this for a living. <laughs> no, for sure. But with the major frustrations that I hear from fans and about ownership, right, is that they don't care. They're not involved. It's never worked. They're, they let bad people run their team for too long. And I think then those are stereotypes that were true for a very long time, especially in the later years with William Clay. I think that Martha Harrison Ford wasn't, she was around quite a bit. I don't know how active she was, but I will tell you, I think Sheila Hamp is way more active than her parents. And I do think the sense that I get from talking to people around her is that she's, she's trying to blaze her own path, that she doesn't want her leadership style to be, she wants to lead team, lead the team differently than her parents did. And we've seen that she is, she's not just someone who's around, she's around every day, almost every practice. Yeah. I think every game she's there, she has a had a beautiful office upstairs. We're in the building right now. She had a beautiful office upstairs, a corner office and the whole nine. And she had her office moved to a centrally located office so that she could be around everyone, be around everything that was happening and be more involved. And I, I don't know practically how that's worked out. I haven't, I haven't heard from anyone like just drop-ins or whatever in her office, but I know that there's like a metaphor there, if you will, or a, at least some symbology that that is important. And it shows the involvement of the ownership. She's got an open door and a few months into her reign, she fired her head coach and general manager, didn't even let them see out the 2020 season, launched a long process to find not just new people to run the organization, but to reboot the entire culture. And while, of course, we're sitting here at one and five talking about a last place team and the results 
to this point are still not there. The culture has been completely revitalized. And I think there's a lot of good things to feel about where this team is at. But I understand fully why she's coming out and speaking now because things are not good. And I think that in itself is yet another sign that she's giving the fans what the fans have said for a long time that they wanted was more involvement from ownership. Absolutely. That's true. We were writing headlines last year that was she was sitting in on offensive, defensive, and special teams meeting. And that's no offense to her mom, but I can't picture Martha Firestone Ford sitting in a meeting with Dave Fipp. So right. just uh, so I agree with you there. I just think, like I was just saying, the awareness, like this is something that this is my fourth season on the beat. I'd never seen anything like that before. And shoot, they're one in five. They've got a historically bad defense. They're losing more games. They're allowing more points. They're losing games faster than Matt Patricia. And it's just like your quarterback that has the microscope on him as this is your long-term guy. Is this your bridge quarterback? Just had five turnovers. They haven't scored a touchdown in two games. Not only is she involved, but as I said earlier, she's paying attention. She cares what the fans are pissed off about. She cares about the headlines that are going on and stuff like that. She is tuned in. She is involved. I'm not carrying water for them, but the idea that they're not involved or don't care is just off base, at least when it comes to Sheila Ford Hamp. Yeah, my first two and a half years on the beat with Martha, I never saw or talked to her once. This is two Zoom calls and an in-person impromptu meeting with Sheila already. So let's let's drill down a little bit on some of the things that she said and go from there. Obviously, the big thing that, that she came out to say was that there's a, a vote of confidence still in Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell. There are 23 games into this thing. They have four wins. They're way off pace with where the previous regime was, which I thought was an interesting juxtaposition. And I wrote about this in my mailbag this week that we had that meeting with with Sheila Hamp and Martha Firestone Ford sometime after Thanksgiving and in 2019 when they said, we're bringing back Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, but there was an ultimatum for to play meaningful football the following season, which obviously did not happen and it led us to where we are today. But I just thought that was interesting because we're approaching that same kind of time frame and they have a worse record right now. And the big thing, Ben, of course, is there's a difference in what the tasks were, right? Matt Patricia came in, took over a, a team that obviously wasn't good enough, but was pretty good and had a lot of good cornerstone pieces on both sides of the ball, back-to-back -back winning seasons, that kind of stuff. And he was supposed to be the finishing touch. And of course, it led to an unexpected rebuild. <laughs> we don't have to rehash what happened. It was a, an awful experience. And then Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes come in and they have to clean up behind those guys. So the tasks were entirely different. These guys, as we've seen, it's, they tore apart every brick. Goodness, I think there's 10 guys left on the entire roster from that era who actually play on the team. And Matthew Stafford trading him, like just totally reset where this team was at and the timeline they were on. What do you think that they've done so far? Did, do you agree with Sheila Camp that the, that there's progress and development and that things are heading in the right direction despite the results? Or do you think that is too optimistic at this point to say? Oh man, yeah. I still think it is heading in the right direction. I still think these are the two guys for the job just because I have to think about the fact that, like you said, Matthew Stafford, Matt Patricia had Matthew Stafford. This new regime traded Matthew Stafford, got two picks and they had to take on a quarterback who's talented, has his moments, but I mean, he was out the door in Los Angeles. So it's just, I still think everywhere but quarterback, it feels headed in the right direction. You can see their foundation in those bright moments. You saw the offense for, through the first three weeks. You saw the vision there. You saw the offensive line shoot that first half of the Washington game. It was like, oh, this is what Aaron Glenn was talking about all summer. Now, we haven't seen that since or very much since, but I do feel like the defense... Getting Josh Pascal back, any chance he can get a second-round rookie actually on the field. We hammered that home in the mailbag. How last year's second-round pick doesn't look like he's going to play for a hot minute in Levi O. And then this year's first-round pick, JMO, TBD, still probably another month away as we near the end of October here. And 
Pascal makes his debut, so it's like you're still getting pieces back. There's still young pieces coming back. This has injuries aren't an excuse, but this has been a team that's been devastated by injuries to important pieces like Tracy Walker to young pieces that they want to actually bring along. So it's just like I see the vision. I'm still at the point where it's, yeah, this is a long-term deal. You traded away Matthew Stafford for draft picks. You were going to build this through the draft. And some of those pieces you brought in through the draft have barely even played, if at all. So it's just, I'm patiently optimistic still. Trending in the right direction is my answer. Yeah, look, the results are not good. And we all, even for a rebuilding team, a team that was going through a teardown and then a rebuild, as Sheila put it, even by that standard, they should be better than what they are. One in five, worst defense in the league. We know the numbers. They're ugly. It's a bloodbath. Having said that, like, I, I have not lost. I'll, I'll put it like this. I have always had confidence, if that's the way you want to put it, that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell were capable of doing what everyone wants, which is turning around this team and going and make a, making a run. I think Brad Holmes has a great eye for talent. I think Dan Campbell is a tremendous like leader of men, but very different than Jim Caldwell, but has that same vibe going where he is the, the CEO, the papa bear, however you want to put it, of this team. And I think he has leadership qualities that you can win with. I really do. And I think he's put together a staff, more importantly, that can compensate some of his weaknesses and together, I think it's a great bunch. I've thought that this group was capable of doing it. Of course, you need, Ben, so many things to fall into line and go your way along the way to, to turn into a winner. So you can't really predict what's going to happen, but they were capable. I would say now I'm questioning whether it will happen for the first time. And I wrote that in my, my mailbag too. You know, it's like it, the results are obviously not there. We've seen some risks by Brad Holmes that have not panned out. I understand that they've been careful in free agency because of the stage of the rebuild that they're at. They didn't want to sink a bunch of money down the road when they didn't know where this rebuild was going to go, which rookies were going to pop along the way and so forth. But at the same time, they have not done enough to give this team a chance to win. We've seen that on defense and there's just not, they didn't do enough to, to, to upgrade the team. And when you have injuries set in, which they have all over the place, then that's crushing and they've been crushed. But having said that, the point I do want to make is that I do agree with Sheila that there's been progress, right? Mm -hmm. Like you were there, I was there at, in 2020 and all the days before of Matt Patricia, it was awful. The locker room was falling apart. There was different factions of the organization warring against each other. There was the distrust and, and Bob and <laughs> Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell, too many names. They've done a good job, Ben, of resetting all of that, which was half their charge when they came in. They looked at where everything was and they brought in guys who would fit that to address the biggest issues. And Dan Campbell was brought in probably because he is such a good player-friendly coach. And they didn't have that before. And there was a lot of hurt feelings and bad vibes and distrust between the locker room and the coaching staff. And Dan Campbell's done a great job of resetting all of that stuff. The like culture of this team is dramatically different now than it was when they took over. And so, yeah, there has been growth in that area. They've also brought in guys like Panay Sewell, Amon Ross St. Brown, Malcolm Rodriguez sure seems like he's trending that way. Like guys you can win with. And like we said before, and this, we're coming out of the Dallas game now. There's four rookies starting on defense. They all played really well, all of them. And Josh Pascal, man, I really underestimated the, of what his return would mean for this team and this defense. So yeah, I do agree with Sheila that there has been progress and development and that patience with the course is the right path forward. I, I agree with that. I think not having patience, I think putting heads and chopping blocks right now, that would be impetuous. That would be premature. Look at the teams that are run like that. Look at Washington. Look at Dan Snyder meddling every other day. That's no way to win. They're taking a more patient course. Like it, they took it with Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. 
didn't work yeah. out. It was the wrong move. And I think not having that reset going into that draft really hurt where this team was at. But now to going with it again, I can't help but agree with it. We'll see if it works out. Yeah, those results have to start improving at some point. And we've said it over and over again. I understand the outside frustrations. This should not be the on track for one of the league's worst defenses. Uh, so yeah, it's heading in the right direction. Um, Slowly, but. So she brought up the frustration with the, the fans have and, and how young this roster was. Do you think that's a valid, I don't know, leg to stand on with why this team is where it is? I do just because it is the youngest roster in the NFL. I looked it up on the way in this morning. It's an average age of barely over 25 years old, but that's supremely young for the NFL. And there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be growing pains and We've already said the injuries to those young pieces that need to be developed and playing have not helped in some places. I mean, when's the last time you saw him practice? Levi O is gone. Those are top three or four round draft picks. Derek Barnes is a special teams linebacker in year two with some, it's just, it's in a weird spot right now. It really, really, really is. I confused myself on that own sentence. I lost (laughs) my spot there. It's just, yeah. I hear you, Ben. I agree. But they started in Dallas, four starters on defense. Four, that's like nearly half the starting lineup that were rookies. Yeah. And one of them was Josh Pascal, who was making his NFL debut. That also surprised me. Um, and, and they sat down Michael Brockers, who is a great team leader, great locker room guy. It's part of the calculus of why Brad Holmes targeted to him to bring him to from L.A. to Detroit with him last year. He's a very young team rebuilding. He wanted you know, a solid veteran to help show the young guys the way. And Michael Brockers has been that. He has also not been a good player since arriving in, in, in Detroit. And he's been even worse this year than he was last year. And they sat his ass down. And that's a hard thing to do as a coach, as a regime, because of what Brockers means and how he's looked up you know, by young players. But it also shows that this, they're going all in with mm. the youth movement, with development, with their eye on 2023. And listen, Fans, people have watched this team for forever, for their entire lives. Again, if you're not more than 65, 70 years old, you know, <laughs> there, there isn't a time where you've remembered this team yeah. making it to the mountaintop. So the last thing anybody wants to hear is more time. We need more time. You, just some, we just need some patience. But that's the thing you have to understand is that's not how the team looks at it because Brad Holmes hasn't been in charge for forever. He's been in charge for a year and a half. And same thing with Dan Campbell and, and I get that. It's frustrating. Exactly. Yeah. But that's where they're. That's where they're at. And when they say patience with the process, that's what they mean. That's what they mean is that it might be hard to hear because everything that's come before it. But look at the field on Sunday, and you got Josh Pascal in his NFL debut. You got Kirby Joseph, a guy who just started playing safety like yesterday. Really, like it was last year. Illinois is the first time he started playing that position full time, and now he's in his, I believe, third or fourth game as a starter, as an emergency starter, basically because of the Tracy Walker injury. And he's out there and he's, he's playing well. It's hard to win in the NFL with four rookies on one side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, they're missing DeAndre Swift. I'm on Rossane Brown left in the first quarter. No DJ chart. The injuries have been astounding. And you put it all together and that's how you end up with one win, which is not where anyone expected this team to be. But again, I, it is what it is and, and it may be hard to hear, but I still, I do believe in the progress and the development. And I also agree with the approach that the patience is the only way forward. Yeah. And every time I turn to my radio, Ben, it's the fire Dan Campbell, yeah. fire Brad Holmes, fire this guy, trade that guy. And I get that that's easy to say and it's what people feel, but it's also usually bad business in the NFL. These guys are 23 games and into a, a, a major, major project. Patience is required. And I agree with her on that. Yeah, I do too. And I was having a hard time with that one just because it's like, it's important to get those young pieces on the field. It's really great to see four rookies playing at a high level, but 
like you said, it's hard to win with young pieces like that on the field, like especially when you're missing veteran pieces and just yeah, the Brockers saying, shoot, the guy's getting paid like five million dollars per pressure this season. It's just like mm-hmm. I think he had two pressures through five games. It was time. He's a great leader for that young room, like you said, but it's just I mean just movement. I mean, that's going to be the way to build this thing is building it through the draft, getting those guys developing, use the young guys you've got, and that's what they're doing. And it's not an excuse, but it's definitely an understandable reason that has a lot of logic to it. So I do agree with her. I side with her on that one. Okay, Ben, I think this is a good spot to to bring in TJ. He's got a unique pr- perspective on this kind of stuff. TJ Lang is a 10-year NFL vet, won a Super Bowl out in Green Bay across the division, came back home to Detroit for his last two seasons of his career, went to a Pro Bowl one of those years, very accomplished career, native Detroiter, unique perspective on, on what's going on. TJ, how are you doing? I'm fine, guys. I'm doing great. I uh, hope this team starts winning some football games because it really stinks when the weather starts to get cold and your football team sucks. That's just a double whammy. <laughs> hopefully hopefully one of those things. We know winter's not going away in Texas, but hopefully things change for the Lions, make the winter a little bit more palpable. <laughs> Yeah, and it's been four four years in a row now of last place when the weather turns cold. So it gets old for fans. It gets old for certainly players and coaches and general managers and apparently team owners as well, as well as beat writers. <laughs> it's been a long couple of years. Yeah, it wears on us, doesn't it? No doubt. TJ, you are from here. You played here. You're now on the radio broadcast team as the sideline man. Ben and I have been talking about Sheila's comments this week. I'm sure that you have seen them at this point. What did you make of what she said and where this rebuild stands in in its second season? Yeah, I don't think her comments came as any surprise. I think it was, you know, it wasn't surprising to hear her say that they're frustrated. I think everybody is with the lack of results. But to say that she hasn't given up hope on any of the leadership Yet, I think it's fair. I think that what she's supposed to say, you don't hear owners come out and say, well, we better win these next two or going to make change. Like that doesn't help anything. I don't know how they uh, genuinely feel inside that building, but I think it's fair to say that they still believe in Brad. They still believe in Dan, but ultimately it's been disappointing because you haven't seen the results. And I think that was fair for her to say. I do feel like there, it has been a frustrating season. It has been a disappointing season because Everybody was expecting to see them take uh, that next jump almost. I think there was a lot of hype around this team, obviously, uh, throughout the offseason and training camp and the hard knocks. And Dan Campbell, how much better is he going to be in year two? You know, how much better is Jared Goff going to be in year two? And, and we've seen glimpses of that. We've seen a lot of glimpses, actually, of people, players and coaches alike getting better but ultimately they just haven't they haven't won and that's ultimately how you're going to be judged it has been disappointing i was you know i remember sitting back there in august and september and saying man like this feels like a team that could go win eight games go maybe win nine games maybe be a surprise team i think the biggest disappointment has been this year just so far what we know through six games and most teams playing seven is that this NFC is just like wide open. And this was like the prime year for somebody just to to take a giant step and get their name in the mix. And you look at what other teams are doing, like Seattle and like the Giants, who were pretty comparable to this Lions team as far as new coaching staff, new GMs, new leadership, rebuild mode. And they've taken advantage of kind of a weaker conference and taken a, getting out ahead of the stick. So that's been disappointing because there have just been so many opportunities where you look at almost each and every game outside of that New England game where it's, is it that far off to say that this team could have three wins right now, could have maybe even four wins right now? I don't think it is, but the bottom line is 
They don't. They have one. I, I don't know what you attribute that to. I think that there's been certainly some coaching errors we saw in the Minnesota game. And even if you want to throw the Philly game in there with the onside kick, that was questionable. But we haven't really seen that the last couple of weeks. I think that this team just still has so much youth. And, you know, a lot of the NFL, a lot of finding successes is learning how to win, learning how to practice the right way, learning how to conduct yourself in meetings, learn how to make sure that by the time you hit the field on Sunday, there's no stone left on turn. Like you're just going out there and playing and you're, and you got to figure out ways to win. This team hasn't done that yet. But in the big picture of things, I don't think that anybody's really saying here after six games in year two that anybody should be fired. I don't think that anybody's job should be on the line at this point because when you when you remember just a year and a half ago like this was a big project this team there was a lot of turnover whether it was players coaching front office i mean this was going to be we we all kind of thought a long-term problem that we needed to fix and we're sitting here six games into year two i don't really think it's fair to start calling for anybody's job or anything but it's certainly fair to question what's going on because we really haven't seen you know, in, the, in the grand scheme of things we haven't seen the improvement in the win-loss record when you look at what other teams are doing and how fast they've been able to turn around you got to start asking some tough questions but I, i'd like i still want to see how the, the season folds out i want to see especially how the next four or five games fold out to see if this team is still competing see if they can squeak out a win see if there's a way that they can find a way just to make a couple plays or steal a game and change the momentum that's something that you can still there's still what 11 games left. That's, that's a lot of games to play. They just need a couple to go their way and see what happens. Yeah, you're capturing a lot of where Ben and I land on this conversation. I don't think anyone expected this team to make a serious run this year, but with the opportunities in a wide open NFC North, you look at the schedule, there was obviously a lot of turnover in the coaching staffs on the line schedule and some very winnable games. And I think that's where some of the short-term disappointment is that they only have one win against that schedule. The defense has been the worst in the league, although obviously Dallas wasn't encouraging. So that's why we are where we are talking about another last place team and some of the questions about the rebuilding whether it's on course and yeah of course isn't that just isn't that the most frustrating thing though is that you remember like the first four games it's like the narrative and the question was just like man this defense can just get one stop for seattle to punt <laughs> one time so now the last couple weeks were like man if this offense can just score like one touchdown it seems so simple that they but it's just incredible how like this the flip yeah I, just, and I do think the they haven't figured out how to play a complete game and I think those wild fluctuations, right, it's symptomatic of not having a deep enough roster. So if they lose an Amon Ross St. Brown or a DeAndre Swift, then your offense is going to be more prone to a collapse or your defense, if you're missing two or three guys, be more prone to a collapse. And that's, I think as they build up the depth over time, maybe some of those wild fluctuations will go away. I guess my question yeah. for you, TJ, is with the questions now coming out about just where this rebuild is, whether it's still on course, whether it, like there's development and progress with where things are headed, like how much do you believe that they're actually headed still in the right direction? Well, I still do. And I think the proof is in really the young players. I think when you look at offensively, a couple of young guys, Panay Sewell just turned 22, Amon Ross St. Brown's a young player. Jonah Jackson's a young player. Like you're getting really good production from your young players and even on the defensive side watching that Dallas game you got four rookies starting you have Pascal Hutch Malcolm and Kirby Joseph in the back end and you know I, there's not I think there's any team in the NFL to look it up but I don't think there's any team that start that many first and second year players but for me it's just it's like last week was just very encouraging especially defensively 
um, watching each and every one of those guys make plays. And that just tells me that they, I think they do have the right players. I think they are trying to bring in the right core of rookies and first-year guys to do what it ultimately is going to take to change that culture and bringing in winners and bringing in guys that hate to lose. So that kind of gives me the most hope is that I do feel like they're getting a lot more production from their young players, and those guys are continued, going to continue to improve and continue to develop into impact players for this team. And anytime you have that, that's that, there's just so many more options available. You know what I mean? When you have a guy like Hutchinson, who's been certainly had his up and downs so far this year throughout the six games, but coming off a really strong performance last week, if he continues to do that at a consistent level, that's going to affect your free agency period as well. There's going to be guys around the league that might not even look at Detroit as a possible option. Well, when you say, hey, man, I'll go play next to Hutch or I'll go play with Pascal or Malcolm, that's that can be intriguing to a lot of guys. That's a big part of it as well, man, but that's just where I think my optimism has really waned because I do expect these young players just continue to get better, and that's really going to help this team out a lot. And I just wanted to ask something. I was getting a haircut Tuesday, grabbed some food on Tuesday, and people kept asking me when I tell them I cover the Lions, they kept bringing up kind of your rant about golf drifting too far and some of the sacks on Sunday. You know, multiple people brought that up to me. Now, and, uh, what are those kind of, you played in the league 10, 11 years. What are those conversations like with a quarterback in the offensive line when that quarterback starts drifting 8, 9, 10, 11 yards? What do you say to him to not point a finger or confront him, but like what's a good way to approach yeah. that issue? Because it's been happening a couple of weeks here pretty strong with golf in that pocket, you know, wandering a little yeah. too. Yeah, I think you just got to relay just how incredibly hard that makes your job. But I think is when you have tackles like Decker and Sewell, who are very good tax protectors, like sometimes it just comes down to turning around and you don't want to, like you said, point fingers and get in somebody's face, but you have to be pretty stern about it. Dude, you can't do that to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know where you're at in the pocket. Like that's making my job incredibly difficult. And not only that, offensive linemen, you hate to watch your quarterback get hit. I mean, there's so many times where you're looking at Jared Goff and it's just like, man, that hit, it, it might not be a sack. It might not be a turnover or anything like that or forced incompletion. But, dude, that's just unnecessary, man. We don't want to see you take those hits. That can be easily avoided. I think you just have to have to be confident in the fact that if there's one little slip detail here and there, that can change the whole outcome of a play, a drive, a quarter, a game, whatever it is. And if I go back to the play last week, I think it was in the second quarter, the Lions had a – I think it was a second and two or second and three with about six minutes left, and they called play-action shot. I thought it was a great play call and probably would have been a touchdown. You know, and Jared just kind of drifts back to 10, 11, and instead of stepping up, it kind of drifts sideways, and now it's a sack. Now it's a third and 12, third and 13, and the drive's over. So it's little things like that just get frustrating because you expect a, you expect the quarterback to be where he's supposed to be as an offensive lineman. And that's what you want. You just want consistency. Now, you certainly know there's times where it's going to have to move if there's a certain pressure, you know, somebody gets beat quick off, quick off the snap. Those are understandable. But it's the ones where you have perfect protection, everybody's doing their job, and you're still not, and you're still taking a sack, you're still taking a hit. Those really start to get you a little bit, start to frustrate you. But you know, the good part is I think that um, – not only did Coach Campbell address it after the game and throughout the, the this week, but even Jared said it too. He said, look, yeah, there were a couple times I did that in the Dallas game, a couple times he did it in the New England game, but that's just, it's hurting your offense. It just is. And those are just the simple little small minute details of being at nine yards or eight and a half yards as opposed to being at 10. A lot of people wouldn't think that's a big deal, but when you're an offensive tackle, it's a huge deal because 
you think in the back of your head, look, okay, I know where I'm at. I know where the sticks are. I know where the quarterback's supposed to be. This guy goes, gives me a speed rush up the edge. I know I can push him back past 10 yards and have it be a successful block. Well, if quarterback's standing at 10 or 11 yards a couple times, now you don't have that confidence that you're able to do that. So it starts changing your technique. It starts to change your mindset a little bit. And I know Jared, Jared addressed it, but we really got to see it on game day. We got to see it show up because there's just been way too many times where you feel like, man, that's just so easily avoidable just if you do what you're supposed to do. Hopefully if they get it fixed starting this week. TJ, I got two more questions for you. The first is uh, I want to go back to something you said earlier about you, you mentioned free agency and how guys around the league see what the Lions are doing with their players and whether they're developing, how they're playing, that kind of stuff. Just got me kind of curious because yeah. you spent so long in Green Bay and you're on the league for a decade. I'm just kind of curious, what is the perspective from players coming to Detroit? Obviously things were really bad for a while. They're trying to a better place now, but I'm just curious generally as a veteran, what the, I don't know, cliches are about coming to Detroit or the fears or whatever uh, about signing here. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, there's honestly, even me going through it back in 2017, there's not a lot that free agents think about outside of football. There's not a lot of people, oh, I don't want to live in Detroit. All oh, the winners suck. There's not a lot of that going on. It's pretty much you know, just how's this football team? Was this a team I can come have success on? Can I come win here? Am I going to have a coaching staff, the players I'm going to play with? So that changes year to year. I remember, shoot, when I was early, young player in Green Bay, Detroit was, they were just really bad. They had a hard time picking up free agents because guys, you don't want to go play for a team and just suck. But that changed when they started to, when Sue was playing and Fairley and DeAndre Levy and some of those guys on defense. Then you started to see, oh man, look, they got a Golden Quinn wants to come play there. Oh crap, Haloti Nada wants to go play there. You know what I mean? Like those players that probably would never think about coming here. We're like, oh man, yeah, I see it as a good destination if you might come compete on. And look, I think that they obviously still have to win games, but players around the league, I think of the one thing that I kind of listen to after games is, uh, what are the other teams saying about this team? The other teams saying the feet sucks, or you, usually you can read between the lines, but the, there's been a lot of guys on opposing teams that have been very complimentary of Detroit and they feel like they're close and they feel like they battle, man. And they feel like they, they, they compete and they're really close. So that's obviously something that you have to have. If you want to go after some of those free agents to come in and help you then be productive, you got to show them that you're ready to take that next step. I think that's really all that players care about. Brad Holmes said something interesting, maybe back in August, I think it was right before the season about training camp. And he was asked a question about, there was a lot of movement, obviously this past off season, yeah, I think wide receivers was a big one with A.J. Brown and Hollywood Brown and a bunch of other guys and the quarterbacks moving around. And he was asked, hey, are you in any of those deals? Are you interested in going to sign these guys or trade for guys? He said, like, you know, you have to understand the, the dynamic of your team. If we feel like, hey, we're close and we're ready to win and we're one player away from taking a big step, he's like, yeah, absolutely, I think we would do that. But the fact that he didn't do that kind of let me know, okay, maybe he doesn't think <laughs> there's right. one or two players away from being that type of team. And they used a first-round pick on Jameson. I think there's a lot of telltale. Right. They were still – which they believe they were still a ways away. Exactly, which is a long-term play. You know what I mean? If you're a, if you're a team that you feel like you're one or two players away, I mean, you've got to go get somebody that's ready to play now. This team took Jameson, which – I mean, I don't know, depending on the, how the season plays out, I wouldn't be surprised to not see him at all to make sure he's completely healthy for the future. Now, if they win a couple of games and they're starting to get some momentum, I could see him. Yeah, maybe let's get Chamo in there a little bit, see if he can help us you know, keep going even farther. But yeah, I think what, to just answer your question about free agency, you got to build a winner and you got to have the right pieces in place and you got to have some playmakers that, that are just intriguing 
um, to other guys around the league that say, man, I guess I want to go play with that offensive line, man. So um, getting the right players in place is obviously, uh, for me, that biggest step as far as attracting other guys around the league to come play. Well, a, a quality offensive line helps too, especially with offensive players. And so that's my last question for you. And you played in the league for so long, Pro Bowl player in the trenches. I just value that insight a lot when talking about offensive line play, because this guy and I, you know, we never played the position, certainly not at this level. And it can be kind of hard sometimes to evaluate the play up there, certainly not to the level that you can. TJ, I'm just curious uh, your thoughts on the offensive line play so far this year. That's obviously a strength of the team. And in particular, I'd love to get your thoughts on Panay Sewell because uh, people who know what they're talking about love this guy. And of course, even us idiots up in the press box watching this guy, you, I mean, the strength and the speed that he plays this game, the ferociousness, anyone can appreciate that. And he's been he's been such a good player in his second year. So just curious your thoughts on Panay so far. Yeah, just to answer first question, the offensive line. Yeah, they've been a big strength of this team. And I think that that's what we all expected, having so many moving parts, uh, you know, and still having success. I mean, seeing Stenberg in there, Dan Skipper in there playing guard, and Evan Brown the last couple of weeks. It doesn't matter. I think they've set a new level of standard and expectations in that room that you know, we don't care who's out there. Our job's to go out there and completely dominate. I think they've done that for the most part. I think they had a little bit of a tough time in New England. New England was doing a lot of things schematically that just was, man, it was tough. They got beat certainly a couple times in that game. That was really the one game this season where you were like, oh, man, they got they got a little bit. But I thought they were really good again in Dallas. I thought Panay was really good early against Mike Parsons. Obviously, they ended with a couple sacks there late in that game where 18-point game at that point. I think everybody's just trying to stay healthy and get the hell out of there. <laughs> so you lose kind of some of that adrenaline and some of that momentum and motivate whatever it is. <laughs> Let's get out of here. So I don't really I don't really harp on those ones too much. But going to Panay, I mean, you know, he's just, when you look at the kid, call him a kid because he just turned 22 years old. But he is, man. He's a pup. He's a improvements that he's made from this year, from last season to this season, have just been astronomical. Usually you see a player start to progress a little bit. Oh man, he's used to a new set. Or oh, he's used to like that little new move that he's thrown in there. Like he's just, he's gone from last year, probably an above average player to my mind, to my opinion, now playing like one of the best right tackles in football. And I think he's got, anytime you combine his athleticism with his power and his strength, and his awareness and like football IQ, I mean, that's just, it's the full package. It really is. And you don't see him get beat very often because he's not very surprised by anything that defensive ends throw at him. The biggest thing for me as, a, as an offensive lineman going into a game is you have to have a plan. You can't just go out there and figure it out on the fly. You have to have a plan that develops throughout the week of practice. And when you get into the game, you just got to execute it. And he's a guy that you look at the little things in his game. Like there's so many young players that it takes them so long to get comfortable, whether it's in a stance or, hey, I'm just starting to figure out my vertical stat or, hey, I'm just starting to figure out my hand placement. Like he has so many tools that he throws at guys. That that's what you have to have as an offensive lineman. You can't just have one pass set and just two hand punch every single time because you're going to get beat. You're going to you're going to eventually get beat. When I look at his footwork and his hand placement and the, and his like the change ups that he has in his pass set, he'll go from a vertical to the next play. He'll go to more aggressive flat jump set and kind of surprise guys, stick him in the chest. Like those are just the things that I love to watch because he's just developing at such a high rate that. It's really hard for young players, second-year players, to develop that. He brings—he just brings a different level 
of toughness, I think, to that old line group. We saw last year with mixing it up with Davion Clowney and mixing it up with Aaron Donald. Yeah. You look at that, you're like, oh, be careful, young guy. You know, but like, yeah. no, he doesn't care. Like, he's the big dog out there. And he's, yeah. man, he's just playing at such a high level, and it's fun to watch. He's just, he's lethal out there. He's a, he's definitely a weapon for them up front. He's kind of there. Seems like they're emotional guy, too. He wears his heart on his sleeve. But he's their dog up there, man. Like when he gets going, I, I think it, it's contagious and it wears off everybody else on that line. Yeah, no doubt. I was up in the press box at SoFi when they were playing in LA <laughs> and I could see his head bobbing as he's like just jawing at Aaron Donald. Right. That, yeah. And yeah, that man. for me, TJ, was like the moment where the light bulb like really went on in my brain. I'm like, this guy is different. You just don't see that from a rookie going up against the greatest defensive player of his you generation. Don't see that from, you don't see that from a lot of linemen, no matter <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Your bed. And he you didn't know, to tend your bed, you'd kind of be like, hey, don't push that guy off, man. But he's like, yeah. oh, screw that, man. I don't care. Like, this is my field, you know. I'm <laughs> like, you love that swag and that just that you know confidence and not even not cockiness but just that confidence that definitely portrays when he's playing and that's just uh, that's something that i really enjoy to watch i think there's some cockiness in there too <laughs> oh for sure for sure but not over the edge where no doing some stupid or good but it's like yeah he's gonna get gas he's gonna let you know about it too man i love that part I'll tell you what, I mean, you're on the sideline every week on the broadcast team. Ben and I are usually up in the box, but uh, in, like the first day of, of contact practice during training camp, I think it was the first day, maybe the second day, and Ben and I are standing like 10 feet away when Pinay comes around the right side and just takes out Akuda, like in practice. <laughs> just, just puts him on his ass, and yeah. we're just like, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. No, he's a, and, and he, was, he was a huge, he was a massive human too. Yeah. Like you talk about like 335, 340, the kid could probably play tight end. Like he's just that type of athlete. And he's just, man, he's a special player. The way he carries 330 pounds and the way he moves with 330 pounds, like I, it doesn't even like compute for my brain. Like he just doesn't look no. like 30. I'm with you. I sit here and think all the time, man, like I just love I love what he's doing out there and how he's playing and the way he does it. And he's a 22-year-old kid. This dude has a chance to, you know what I mean? You don't like comparing him to all Hall of Famers or anything like that, but he's got a chance to be a really special player, man. He already is, but he, can you imagine just him continuing to grow and getting better? That's a, that's kind of a scary thought, to be honest. No doubt. No doubt. TJ Lang, thank you very much. Good thoughts. We always love hearing from you. Love you on the broadcast. I think it's been a great addition, especially with focus on the offensive line and that being their strength over the past couple of years. And having a guy who's been in those trenches on the team has really added a lot. So Yeah, well, I appreciate it, man. It's been, the offensive line has been the consistent, positive thing that I get to talk about. I love that part of my job. Now if they can just start winning some games. Hopefully they're coming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. Over our sakes. <laughs> I hope so too, man. Thank you, TJ. Yeah, it's good talking to you guys. Likewise. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of M Live's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom and M Live Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.